You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy our hearty helping of Archaeosoup. Hello and welcome back to Watching Brief for the week of the 6th of December 2021. I am joined as ever by my, uh, well not quite so festive as me it seems, co-host Mr Andy Brockman. Uh, once again as you can tell our, our office is firmly seeing in the season. Um, when does the tinsel go up at House Brockman? Well, this goes right back to when I was a kid. Um, we normally do our Christmas decorations more or less the last Sunday before Christmas. Uh, okay, okay, fair enough. But then, but, but, but then, but then you know, that, that's, that's good. We, we tend to have a real tree and we keep it up until traditionally, you know, 12th night. So, yeah, 12th night, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's, and, the, and the needles can just about last that period without yeah. falling all over the floor. So, mm. uh, yeah, that's good. It's, it's funny, actually, that, uh, not to get off topic immediately, but it's, it's interesting how many people do take down their decorations on Boxing Day. I find that I've always found that to be very strange. Uh, but uh, but in, in, in our case, we, we tend to start at the beginning of December, uh, largely because we just like the atmosphere. Uh, but actually, growing up, it was always a Christmas Eve mad dash. Uh, and often my mum would be up until two in the morning putting up decorations. She said it was because she liked the transformation for Christmas. I think it was because she, uh, you know, we always were just sort of slightly forgetful. Um, but anyway, <laughs> regardless, it, I, it's, it's, it's one of those it's one of those times of the year that's very difficult to lose track of, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, oh, oh! I see what you did there. Um, but we'll 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 come back to Christmas parties. I think at the end of uh, this week, this this week's watching. Or, or, or not. Or not. Or not. Uh, anyway, regardless of our ability to remember things that did or did not happen, uh, we are continuing with our watch. Or may or may not have been a party. <laughs> we are... Shh, we're going. It's at the end. We're going. We're talking about the. <laughs> Our Watching Brief continues, and this week uh, we're resuming uh, normal service with a fairly normal, uh, he says, uh, Watching Brief uh, with a couple of stories that are of interest. Uh, but, 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 but before we, we get into those stories, is there anything that we want to say following last week's Watching Brief and, uh, and what's happened in the time between now and then, or then and now? The only thing I would say is that obviously the story that we ran about the apparent attempts by leading archaeological bodies to control messages about archaeology and in particular to prevent a, an independent organisation, uh, the Campaign to Save British Archaeology, Campaigning for University Archaeology, um, it has caused a few ripples maybe. Mm. And uh, I think the, the, the main th thing, I mean, you know, conversations are being had videos are being watched. And I think the main thing to be said is that uh, Professor Howard Williams, who was one of our leading uh, witnesses in, in our investigation, has published his own take on the events, mm. uh, which I think uh, only serves to reinforce the story that, uh, that we told. Um, you know, people in the sector will decide whether or not it's important and, and how to react. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, I think... Uh... 
we're, we're going to make that probably the link of the week, I guess, below. So people can follow up if they want to uh, by clicking onto that blog post. Uh, and um, uh, we'll also actually be having an additional link of the week that I think is a bit of fun as well. And that is... Uh, archaeology Twitter and certain, I think, academic Twitter exploded over the weekend, last weekend, uh, just gone, um, with a, a, an AI bot that produces artwork based on on, yes. on inputs. Uh, so people have been putting in their um, uh, the, the, the title of their thesis, or uh, I actually put in uh, archaeology history and soup, got an interesting image, and then I put in the, uh, the well, as most, as many academic texts have a, a title and then a subtitle, I put in the main title of my um, my uh, dissertation, and also got an interesting result. So that's something to play with, I guess, at home if you haven't already. I mean, we're, we're a week behind on that, but but if you haven't come across it already, it's a bit of fun, and it may play into this year's Christmas celebrations. But again, but that's 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 for later. That's for later on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. All of that to one side. Let us let us begin, and uh, we're starting with uh, well, an interesting story that you brought my attention to on a website that I had never heard of. Actually, um, chasing Aphrodite: the hunt for looted antiqu antiquities in the world's museums. What is going on, Mister Brockman? Right. Um, this is a story about the antiquities trade, mm. and in particular a. Uh, Chasing Aphrodite, which is one of the leading websites which looks at the issues around looted antiquities and uh, the restitution of looted antiquities to the people they actually belong to and the countries they actually belong to, mm. um, carried a story um, based on a press release from the District Attorney for Manhattan, uh, Cy Vance Jr., um, who had been carrying out an investigation, his department had been carrying out an investigation into the antiquities trade in New York, and in particular to a collector called Michael Steinhardt, mm. uh, who is a billionaire hedge fund manager, founder. Mm. Um, basically, uh, the, the, the core of the story, and it's always in the first paragraph, um, if you look at the, the, the press release that uh, is in front of me now, it's the, what the Chasing Aphrodite story was based on, mm -hmm. Um, Michael Steinhardt had been investigated by the DA of Manhattan and the upshot of it was that 180 stolen antiquities from his collection, which are valued at around $70 million, uh, were going to be surrendered by Steinhardt and will be returned to the governments uh, who, under whose uh, jurisdiction they, they, they should have been all along. Right. And Steinhardt in particular, has accepted a what is described as a first-of-a-kind lifetime ban on acquiring further antiquities. Um, That's now, interesting. Well, well, yeah, well, well I mean, to, to, sorry, I say interesting in so much as that, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but presumably if it's the first of its kind, is there going to be special measures to, to monitor this, possibly? I think this is a sign that uh, juris uh, you know, uh, le legal jurisdictions are getting, certainly in, in, in the West, and obviously we're talking here about the United States, and uh, um, under the United States system, the uh, local district attorneys have quite a lot of power. They're, mm. you know, they're, they're, they're significant local uh, politicians and legal officers. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, um, among other things on, on, on Vance's to-do list is an investigation against Donald Trump's business empire. Never heard of him. So, you know, this is... This is 
<laughs> yeah, apparently he had some kind of official office until about 18 months ago. Um, but uh, no, in, in, in all seriousness, um, the, the, the district attorney of Manhattan in particular is one of the most, most powerful ju- um, ju- uh, legal offices in the States. Mm. And so this is a really strong statement about, um, shall we say, the, the allegations that have been around for a long time that the antiquities trade, the, the, the commercial antiquities trade, the big arts, uh, big museums and, and, big, and big auction houses mm. have a somewhat, um, shall we say, occasionally loose relationship um, with the legalities of some of the objects that they acquire and then sell. Um, that pretty no stronger than that. Expertly worded, Mr Brockman. Well, the, the, the investigation, Vance's um, department, in, again, in, in, in this press release about the Steinhardt case, mm. um, they, they, they state that the investigation just into that particular case uh, and, and those 180 stolen antiquities involved 11 countries uh, tracking 12 different um, criminal smuggling networks. And... You know, that, that is, we're talking about a major deployment of investigatory yeah. resources over a number of years and involving you know, the, the, the legal and police entities in, as I say, 11 different countries mm. from the Far East through uh, Western Europe to, uh, to the United States. Um, it should be said as well uh, uh, that um, it, the one particular item, um, which is a bull's head sculpture that was found in Lebanon, uh, was put into storage and was stolen by phalangist uh, militias during the Lebanese Civil War and ended up being um, exported via the Geneva Freeport to the States. Um, it really exposes the, the whole um, mechanism, really, by which these objects are acquired, trafficked, sometimes stored. The, free, the issue of freeports is a significant one, and, and we're seeing that being talked about again in in, in Britain, yeah, yeah. Where, because um, free ports are central to uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak's uh, economic plans for the country. Um, well, but, but, but as well, we see in this case, they can they can be used for for, for ill as well as good. <clears throat> yeah, well, but but we're also seeing actually similarly, and we've talked about this in previous watching briefs in this country, uh, a, a growing confidence or at the very least a growing public desire um, to apparently. Uh, monitor valuable objects that that may have a, a, a tie to national heritage stories, and, and we, we, we've spec. Well, I've speculated that coupled with um, freeports in this country, actually, what what some of these laws might be about is not no, not so much making sure that valuable, especially uh, items with um with you know gold and silver content, don't leave the country. Um, as it were, without being monitored and possibly, you know, taxed or not taxed in the right way, um, but also, uh, and and also therefore, um, maybe adding and and being being able to add to the the national story, but it actually may be part of enabling a, a more fluid international exchange of goods. The thing is, we won't know until all of this stuff comes in in this country how the, how how this works and what the barriers and checks are. It's just it's just an interesting thing to to compare here. Here, the use of free ports absolutely um, was a factor. And this this deputy uh, DA Matthew uh, Bogdan Bogdanos, I believe, is how you pronounce mm-hmm. his name. Um, 
uh, also found time to write a book during the course of, of his investigation, uh, The Thieves of Baghdad, uh, one Marine's passion to recover the world's greatest treasures. Uh, it's it, it's a heck of a story, and, and, and I suppose to the, a question that I'm curious about, because this is the first time I'm properly hearing about this. I, I think I've heard bits and bobs over the years, but um, yeah. to what extent do you think this this is going to prove a, a useful case study for archaeologists who are interested in this, or frankly anyone who's interested in these sorts of networks? Because there, yeah, there, there have been some really good journals over the years. There are journals of illicit antiquities and so on and so forth that publish yeah. analyses of some networks, but this as a cohesive story looks like it could be a really useful case study. It certainly is. Uh, anybody that's interested in this, I'd urge to go to, and, and we'll put the link below the line, but I, I would go to the, um, what's called a, an application for the for a turnover order yeah. uh, to the Supreme Court of the State of New York, which is in fact filed by uh, Matthew Bogdanos, the, the, um, the attorney who was in charge of this particular uh, case. Mm. And um, it it, it's only 68 pages long, uh, but it's written It's written very clearly and it, and it lays out um, the entire uh, track, really, of this particular bull's head um, artifact, uh, bull's head, uh, uh, how, how it was acquired, how it was stolen, how it was trafficked, how it was then um, put onto the commercial market uh, and ended up uh, in the hands of two private um two private collectors the last of whom is Steinhardt um but the whole th how the whole thing also came about because it was lent to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York one of the world's great art museums mm, mm. um and then and, and that's where it was spotted that it was okay, potentially stolen yeah. So again, it's, it's hugely embarrassing, not just for the commercial antiquities trade, but also for what you might say is the legitimate museum world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Um, um, so I, I should say I, I giggled there because the idea of someone saying, let me see your warrant and you producing a 66 page document is quite funny. Do you think maybe they showed it on an iPad? Maybe that was that what happened at the door. Um, it, it, it was, it, 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 I need to make it, it was the application for a warrant. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Itself. Okay. <laughs> so the warrant would still just be a piece of paper. It, it, it was the it was the legal case. It was the legal. It was the legal case for the judge to grant a warrant, which of course they won. Okay, yeah. Uh, but also, this this uh, I, I use the word vulnerable there very deliberately, in so much as it's interesting how uh, the, the lending of art, of artifacts from pro seemingly private collections to public spaces does make them you know as it were vulnerable to scrutiny and uh it's uh yeah it, 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 i'm gonna have to read this book I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to look into this in more detail i think and uh, i advise people at home to do similar um uh, yeah. we... I, I, I think i think it's worth finishing actually just a quote from the um the the, the da vance's uh department press release about mm -hmm. this this whole this whole case um because it 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 sets out really the the intellectual and the um, humanitarian and uh, yeah, the, the, j just the human humanitarian actually rationale for this. Mm. Uh, we talk a lot about restitution and reparation and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we talk about the Benin bronzes. We've talked recently about the, also about the Parthenon marbles. Um, and this is where those issues become very stark. Because we are dealing here with definitely caught bang to rights plundered artifacts. Yes. Yeah. And um, what 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 DA 
Fancy's department said in a press release, quote, for decades, Michael Steinhardt, collector, um, displayed a rapacious appetite for plundered artefacts without concern for the legality of his actions, the legitimacy of the pieces he bought and sold, or the grievous cultural damage he wrought across the globe. Mm. His pursuit of new, quote, new additions to showcase and sell, you know, geographic or moral boundaries, as reflected in the sprawling underworld of antiquities, traffickers, crime bosses, money launderers, and tomb raiders he relied upon to expand his collection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then this is, I think this is, the, this is the key point. Even though Steinhardt's decade-long indifference to the rights of people to own their sacred treasures is appalling, the interests of justice prior to indictment and trial favour a resolution that entires, ensures a substantial portion of the damage to our cultural heritage will be undone once and for all. Mm. Accordingly, this agreement guarantees that 180 pieces will be returned expeditiously to their rightful owners in 11 countries, rather than be held as evidence for the years necessary to comply with a grand jury, in, grand jury indictment, trial, potential convictions and sentence. Yeah. In other words, they, 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 they've moved to get the, the, the stuff that is clearly stolen returned to proper jurisdictions as soon as practical. Yeah, so it's not just hanging around in limbo. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. That's mm. right. <clears throat> Hobby Lobby. <clears throat> anyway, so... <laughs> to, 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 be, to be fair, the American courts move quite quickly on Hobby Lobby as well. And, um, you know, and, and, and it has to be, to be fair to Hobby Lobby, they did hand everything over without too much of a fight. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yes. But, but again, if you're talking but, about, yeah. about the acquisition of artefacts in... Um, yeah. yeah it's, uh, look, it's yeah, look, our, our, our friends at the Hobby Lobby were um, at the very... I suppose very kindly, um, naive and driven by an ideology, mm. um, in that they you know, they wanted to create the Museum of the Bible to represent their their views of, of of the history of the Middle East and the religions of the Middle East. Yeah, um, Steinhardt is a top of the range, very experienced collector over many years, dealing with the very top of the international art market. Mm. antiquities market so in a sense he's he, he, he's you know if, if hobby lobby is the you know is league one at best middle table championship mm. steinhardt is premiership in terms of collectors and to have a collector like that accept a lifetime ban on collecting further antiquities i think is quite significant hopefully yeah absolutely and just one last question presumably he was accepting this in lieu of for example a prison sentence or some other potential punishment? Um, I'm not sure what the exact deal okay. is, but it does, yes, but it, it, it certainly looks like um, some sort of arrangement has been come to, yeah. 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 Okay. He'll, he'll, he'll surrender the material, he'll accept a lifetime ban, and then they'll, uh, then, um, as currently understood, they'll, they'll, they may well leave him alone. Mm. But, the, yeah, the, the, the reputational damage is done. That said, though, with those empty shelves, now he can go to the Hobby Lobby and start crafting. You know, he can put, put some of his, art, his own artwork on display. This is an opportunity for him. Anyway, moving on. I'm not going there. <laughs> moving on. Uh, we have a story in the Tatler, which I found very interesting. And I'm always interested in stories in the Tatler because the Tatler is the newspaper that appears in the uh, the, the Hannibal stories um especially in uh, red dragon i think uh the uh, the tatler features very prominently there and and i i thought it wasn't a real thing until not that long ago when i came across my have first have you never been to a dentist no no 
I have, I have, but I've never seen the Tatler in a dentist's chair. The, ta the, the, the Tatler, Country Life, all those magazines no. that you yeah. you never know anybody who buys, they they appear in dentist's waiting rooms. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I didn't know. I, I, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I do go to the dentist. I have an appointment in January, in fact, for a filling. Um, so, <laughs> anyway. Uh, this is the story of the Comte de Paris, uh, who is demanding the return of Chateau uh, de Chantilly. Um, because he thinks it's being mistreated. The descendant of, the descendant of France's last king, uh, the pretender to the French throne, is infuriated by plans to turn his old family estate into an uber-luxury hotel. This is a, a curious situation, because the, uh, the, the Comte uh, de Paris, uh, the... Uh, the, the, what, the, well, Jean is his name, and he's the senior male descendant by primogenitor of the male line of King Louis Philippe, uh, who ruled France as, as France's last king. Uh, is accusing the state of not uh, adhering to his uh, ancestors' wishes that the estate uh, not be altered in any meaningful way. Uh, it, it's it's supposedly going to be turned into uh, a state-of-the-art hotel uh, under current plans. And previously, it has actually been used as a film set. I didn't realise this, but it's in uh, A View to a Kill. It's Mr Zorin's um, house, apparently. Uh, this is an interesting situation, though, because it... it, it it speaks to it speaks to the relationship between i suppose the state bequeathment and changing times and the ability for states to actually hold on to these sorts of uh these sorts of I don't know, places of interest in a way that that isn't a burden necessarily in 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 especially in financial terms um, apparently in 1886, an ancestor of the Comte de Paris donated the estate, which also includes a second smaller chateau and numerous outbuildings to the Institute of France, a body that represents and promotes France, French culture, uh, uh, particularly in the UK. But there were strings attached to the, to, to the donation, notably that the architecture of the chateau and its outbuildings would never be modified or objects in them moved. Uh, failure to respect the Duke's wishes would lead to the, re the revocation of the bequest and the return of the estate to the Duke's family under the agreement according to the Comte de Paris. What do you think of this? Uh, like it, 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 it's interesting because we we often find situations where there are buildings of interest, especially to a local community, that that either are deemed to be in the way possibly of progress, maybe for a housing development, or they're deemed to be no longer really functional, but they are sort of often of architectural interest. And if local authorities, particularly, for example, in this country, councils can't afford their upkeep, then their their destiny becomes quite, you know, quite ardently debated. Often they're, they're either going to be demolished or they're going to be put on some sort of, you know, list somewhere. They're going to be um, uh, listed or, or protected in some other way. Uh, is, is, there, is this sort of negotiating a, an attention here that... that that maybe there are other ways of dealing with. For example, should the current Comte de Paris take ownership of that building if this, if if you know, if the institute can't uh, look after it? I think this is one of those really interesting, really complicated stories mm. when there's actually more to it than maybe meets the eye in terms of a simple exposition like that. I mean, you're you're, you're quite right. I mean the. Um, uh, people, might, people who follow horse racing might rep uh, might recognise the name Chantilly. Mm. Uh, 
uh, Chantilly, um, because of the uh, the race course, which is associated mm. with the chateau. Mm. Um, that people, uh, medievalists, uh, will almost certainly be familiar with the illustrations from the Traité Richard de la Duc de Berry, um, which is a very famous book of hours, medieval book of hours, mm. um, and that is held in the library at the chateau, uh, the Petit Chateau de Chantilly. Um, so, you know, it, um, it, this is a culturally, this is right at the centre of. Um, certainly French culture, certainly medieval European culture, mm. um, but also modern uh, high-end sport, uh, mm. with, the, with the horse racing. Um, and in fact, if you look into the history of restorations at the, um, at, at the site, uh, for example, uh, in 1998, the World Monuments Fund put it on its watch list because of water infiltration and high humidity. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then again in 2002, they extended that to concerns about the entire estate. Um, so are, are, there that, but, are, are there potentially questions here as to why, why complain now? Is, is, that, is that what you're getting at? What I'm saying is this is, this, this is not just a one-off story. This is a story that has been running for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, for example, um, in, the, uh, in the noughties, uh, the Aga Khan, uh, donated 40 million euro uh, to a roughly 70 million project, mm -hmm. um, which the Institut de France were, had initiated at the site. Um, so, you know, the, 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 this argument about how to pay for the restoration and upkeep of sites like this, um, it, it's not just a one-off. And um, they're... Who, uh, uh, you know, Given the family connection with the, you know, the the Duke, the pretender to the French th uh, thrones, there, there may well be other personal and family issues uh, in play here as well. Mm. The underlying point is, is is a simple one, I think. It's these massively important but also massively expensive buildings. Um, we we collectively as societies, as communities, but also uh, governments have to come to a, uh, an agreement, an understanding, a compromise that, you know, first of all, these things are important to preserve and then how to preserve them and under what circumstances and with what permutations. I mean, you know, it, if you it, take, take it back to a more, a more, more simple level, um, the, the current British uh, listing system, mm -hmm. um, you are able uh, to get listed building consent for changes to a listed building, which really the top 5% of buildings. Mm. Um, it's easier to get uh, listed building consent for, for example, a grade two building or a grade two star building than it is for a grade one building, Yes, which is seen as the most important. Mm. But underlying all of it is the sense that... Um, very few buildings can be preserved absolutely in their entirety mm. as museums, mm. but that th they have to find some sort of um, function as a living building. Um, well, and, and presum it, presumably a part of that would be ongoing changes in, in infrastructure, heating systems, yeah. internet, you know, to toilet yeah. provision. Well, yeah. look, um, Absolutely. Well, I mean, one, one of the big questions after the fire at Notre Dame uh, a couple of years ago uh, has been fire safety. 
Yeah. Uh, ha, what 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 do we do? Do you install modern alarm systems and modern fire suppression and sprinkler systems mm. in, for example, a medieval building? Mm. Is that possible, or do you just have to, you know, um, take a uh, you know, hope? You know, put in all the possible preventative measures that you can hope it doesn't happen and if it does happen then you then decide what kind of restoration you go in yeah, we, we, like we, up we, park in, in sussex where the national trust rebuilt a building that burnt burnt out yeah we so we you're gonna say living on a hope and a prayer there <laughs> like, you could you could you could put it like i heard that. it yeah, i exactly. heard it you were very close you were very close <laughs> Well, there's, there's been a lot of talk in the last few days about governments winging it or the British government winging it. Yeah. And um, there, there is, a, no, no, in all seriousness, these are such difficult issues with such big sums of money potentially involved on both sides, whatever you do, mm. then there is an element of sort of cross your fingers behind your back when you take a decision. Yeah. 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 This, this, we're well, linking this story with, uh, with an interesting uh, development. Uh, surrounding uh, Reading Jail, and uh, and in this instance, the uh, a, a very prominent artist Banksy. You may have heard of him. Uh, whoever, he, whoever, whoever he or she is, whoever he is, yeah, exactly, Nick Abbott. Um, Actually, no, we do, we do, we yeah, we, we're pretty sure it's a he, aren't we? It's, yeah, um, whoever they are, yeah. Um, who who's, yes. who's inserted? Let's be, them, yeah, absolutely. Let, let, let's be non-binary about it. Inserted themselves into a discussion over the future of Reading Jail. Um, he's offered to raise millions of pounds towards buying uh, what's now known as Reading Prison, where Oscar Wilde was once held, so that it can be turned into an arts venue. Uh, the artist. This is from the BBC. The arts. Uh, the artist has promised to match the jail's ten million pound asking price by selling the stencil he used to paint on the grade two listed building in March. He said converting the, the, the place that destroyed him, Wild, into a refuge for art feels so perfect, we have to do it. Uh, the MOJ, Ministry of Justice, um, said that the deadline for bids has passed. However, it added, we are currently considering the ones that we have received. So, uh, uh, who knows? Who knows what that exactly what that means? Uh, a spokesperson for Banksy told the BBC that the pledge of funds was dependent on the Ministry of Justice awarding the bid to Reading Borough Council, and the jail being turned into a centre uh, for the arts. So, so, I mean, actually, is this this is not only, as you say this this sort of thing has been going on forever because actually this feels very current because it's it's addressing an issue that lots of buildings face at the moment in this country, uh, and obviously it's a very prominent, very uh, mysterious and interesting artists getting involved, but actually, is this just good old-fashioned philanthropy? Is this the sort of thing that that that, that wealthy people were doing 150, 200 years ago, uh, as a matter of course, in some some respects? In that in that sense, it's a very public act that, he, that, he, that he's under, undertaking or offering to undertake in this instance. That's true, and certainly, uh, recent Conservative governments, in particular, have tried to promote individual philanthropy mm. as a means of replacing uh put it bluntly state funding for the arts mm. um there are a number of things in play with uh reading prison as is uh, reading jail as was it's a it's a victorian prison obviously mm. um it in a sense it was a public building has been a public building um in the ownership of the state for well over a century mm. um it is now on the market because it's deemed surplus to the prison estate um, and it's on the market for redevelopment. Um, it is uh, listed. 
grade two listed, but that doesn't mean it can't be changed. Mm. Um, there are a number of other factors involved. Um, in particular, it's most associated, obviously, with, uh, in, in, in prison terms with Oscar Wilde, who was in prison there for two years and mm. uh, uh, doing hard labour after uh, he was um, uh, convicted um, for gross indecency. Mm. You know, our viewers may be you know, familiar with the numerous plays and films. There's a very good film with um, Stephen Fry, for example, playing yes. Wilde mm-hmm. um, about that whole affair. Yep. Um, and... While he was in jail, he wrote one of his most famous works, De Profundis, which was a letter to his uh, his lover, Lord Alfred Douglas. Um, and then after uh, he left, he wrote possibly his most famous work altogether, The Ballad of Reading Jail. Yeah. Um, certainly his most famous work outside of the plays. So that in itself would be enough to justify, I think, you know, interest in it as a building um, and, and recognising its... Uh, historical value as a building even well, more than that well I was going to say that, that there's another point which for archaeologists is perhaps even sharper which is that the jail is built on the site of Reading Abbey mm. and Reading Abbey was the uh, resting place of King Henry the uh, first who was buried under the uh, under the high altar and it's currently estimated that that site is under the prison car park or possibly under the prison walls. Oh, not another car um, park. Well, I, you've said that. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> but, yeah, they could have another king in the car park. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, I, I, what I was going to say as well was that in addition, therefore, to an arts historical connection, there's also mm-hmm. clearly it, it, this is queer history as well. This is something which, you know, which, which absolutely is Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that point has been made in, in, in connection... Um, Matt Rather, who's the um, Labour MP for Reading East, mm. um, said that uh, he was hoping to put ministers on the spot mm. over Banks's offer. And he said, uh, quote, there are these amazing layers of history. There's literary history and LGBT community history and the link to Oscar Wilde. Yeah. Um, but there's also some local and national Victorian social history and the links to the royal family all in one building. It's so well connected to the rest of the country. Mm. Um, and then, you know, so you know, there's, there are many reasons for it to be preserved as a, in, a, in a way that recognises its importance to history and to the arts mm. and, to, and, and, and to those underrepresented and um, ignored, uh, previously ignored audience, uh, audiences and, and uh, communities like the LGBTQ plus mm. community. Apparently it was built in 1844 and was decommissioned in 2014, so 160 mm-hmm. years in service and still standing. Um, just, just very briefly before before we, I suppose, start to bring this all, all to a close, um, what is the, what's the current state of play when it comes to graffitiing a Grade 2 listed building? Like, presumably, had he not been Banksy, it would have been, it would have been carefully taken, down, taken off the brickwork, I guess, wouldn't it? We are into a very tricky area here, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, we're, uh, you're referring to the, it's the um, if, if people aren't familiar with it, Banksy uh, painted on the walls of Reading Jail, a uh, an appa- a prisoner apparently a prisoner uh, in, a, in in a, in in stripy prison uniform, uh, climbing down some knotted bed uh, bed sheets, mm-hmm. um, weighted at the bottom with a typewriter. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a it's a very striking image. It's a wonderful image. Um, one suspects that given the time it probably took to 
created and so on, um, it wasn't done altogether without the uh, knowledge of the authorities. I hate to say this, but perhaps blind eye, maybe blind eyes were turned. I don't know. Um, and also, we, we, we you know, we, we don't know entirely what, what the materials are, whether you know whether they were. Um, it's. Um, Oh, well, in fact, we, we know it was created from a stencil um, yeah. because uh, that's, that's, what, what um, yeah. that's what he's offering to sell, which is mm. estimated that, we, we, you know, we talked about the commercial arts world uh, in our first item. This is a, perhaps a positive use of the commercial arts world to, um, to, to hopefully, you know, re return a building like this to, to public ownership um, mm. through selling it, the, 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 um, not even the work of art, but something that was used to create the work of art. Mm. So we've uh, we've come full circle. Yeah, not entirely, not entirely as smoothly as as uh, no, sorry, no, entirely more smoothly than we might have thought we had planned. But that's quite a nice a nice place to bring it to a close. Um, so I suppose actually not not much in the way of conclusions here, but a lot a lot ongoing, an awful lot to think and talk about. I suppose that that's what yes. we're presenting this week for you guys to add to the the discussion below in the comments. Please do. Um, yeah, I, th I think just to, yeah. just to finish, it's, it's worth saying, you know, you know, people have to take part in these debates or solutions will be imposed on us. And, uh, you know, we, we have to debate and decide collectively what the value of these things is. And, yeah. uh, and, and we do have a problem. I, I, I mean, uh, I'm seeing it at the moment in a case I'm involved with personally, whereby... Um, I won't go in, in, into details, but for example, the the um, entity that is um, has ownership of a building, a group I'm involved with, wishes to take on. Um, we're currently trying to persuade them that public value uh, merits them us taking it on on a peppercorn rent rather than as they see it to maximise the value by a full commercial rent. Is it is this, um, is this because you're it, trying it, to get a blue plaque on your house? Is that it? You just Andy Brockman lived here or lives here. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Spitfires, Spitfires weren't buried here in 1945. Exactly, exactly. Um, no, no, I see what you mean. Yeah, exactly. These are very live issues, yeah. and and um, and yeah, that we look forward to seeing the conversation continue. Undoubtedly, we'll return to this sort of stuff in the future as well. Um, oh yeah. I suppose at this point uh, we should uh, address uh, our plans for Christmas. We do have an Christmas special planned in some form, uh, but we're, we're currently tying down exactly what that form will be. But regardless, there'll be... Uh, well, we're aiming for, a, aiming for a live stream, I think, aren't we? I think we are, although I think we, we do need to point out that last year's Christmas special has actually been cancelled. Yes, yes. Last, yeah, it it yes. didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. No. No. No, no, definitely. Al not. Alcohol was not consumed. Alcohol was not consumed. There was no, no. there was no, no quiz, nothing. No, get no, no pre-planned games. No, 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 no. 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 didn't happen. <laughs> for, for for viewers and listeners in the future, just just look at what was happening in Britain in December 2021, and you'll see you'll see why. why, why. Why we're actually we're a bit punch drunk, I think, this week. It's been an interesting week. Last week was a very serious story, and then nationally we're, we're in a very strange um, situation in terms of the in terms of Christmas parties and the government, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yes. Put it this way: in 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 the in the uh, 
in the great greater scheme of things, the country is facing economic crisis and a national pandemic, and the government seems to be obsessed with a Christmas party that may or may not have happened, like Schrodinger's cat. Seven. Like Schrodinger's cat may have, been, may have been invited to the party, for all we know. Well, that's true. Uh, seven parties. <laughs> it's, seven, it's seven now, is it? Yeah, seven. Oh, my God. They found, it, they found even more. Right, OK. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but anyway, last year yeah. didn't happen. No. No. <laughs> Right, guys. No, and, and, and in fact, in fact, all, 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 has been produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network in collaboration with Archaeosoup Productions. Find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com